0: Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to a special episode 29 of Retro Hangover. This is your host, Shane Koski, and I am here by myself this week uh, in an interesting turn of events. Uh, Your venerable co-host, Chris Coplin, is currently on travel. So until he gets back stateside, I figured I would uh, put out something on my own uh, because I know our lovely listeners out there are uh, looking forward to new content from us, and we do not want to disappoint. So... Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my personal ranking of the Kingdom Hearts games. So, a couple of caveats to kind of get out of the way right away. I am not going to be here trying to explain the plot. (laughs) That is that is a a job for a different day and a lot more time than I'm going to take here today. Um, Number two, this is, of course, a personal ranking, so... Do not take this as fact. Um, Don't even take this as Chris's opinion, because this is just me personally with my experience in the games and how I feel they stack up uh, relative to one another. And uh, number three, I want to go over quickly how I'm going to kind of break each one of these down. So I've sort of separated into three categories for each one that I'll, I'll briefly touch on. Uh, the gameplay mechanics, the plot, and the worlds that are included in the games. Because if you're at all familiar with the Kingdom Hearts series, you know that you uh, end up exploring several different uh, Disney worlds... Um, over the course of each game. So that's integral enough to the series that it warrants its own category. Uh, and then just kind of my, like, you know, too long, didn't read overall sort of assessment of each one. So having said that, let's dive right into this. We're going to go from the bottom to the top. So we're going to start with the worst and end with the best. And bringing up the the very rear, the, the caboose of... This heart train is definitely chain of memories for the Game Boy Advance. Um, And also, consequently, um, the RE colon chain of memories kind of remake of it also. Um, So I know that this is probably going to be somewhat controversial because there are certainly some uh, vehement fans of this one out there. But I'm just being 100% honest with you. I hate this game. Uh, and and this is coming from someone who loves Kingdom Hearts as a series. I cannot deal with this one. So let's let's do uh, let's do the gameplay mechanics. So it kind of uses a card-based system, all right. And this is it's super clunky, all right. It's really awkward to use, and it's actually really difficult to learn. Uh, the 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 learning curve on it is harsh enough that. Um, it's, it's actually really discouraging, at least in, in my opinion. Basically, you end up having to kind of frantically cycle through this deck of uh, cards that, are, that represent your abilities that you can use in combat while real-time combat is going on. So think about this one for a second, right? You are in an action RPG, as pretty much all Kingdom Hearts games are, and things are moving in real time. There are things bouncing around the map. Uh, trying to attack you heartless, you know, melding into the ground and scuttling up and trying to smack you in the face. And you're here trying to use a shoulder button on your controller to cycle through this card deck to find the right ability to use at that given time. Um, It's just, it's a pain in the ass. And on top of this, there's no normal attack. You have, like, no default attack whatsoever. So if you run out of cards, because you, you can do that, Each card is more or less one use per combat encounter, um, with some exceptions that you can kind of build into your deck to refresh things. But if you run out of useful cards, you're kind of just dead in the water. You're running around uh, trying to dodge enemies, hoping that one of your attack cards is going to regenerate so that you can actually do something useful. Um, So having said all of that, on almost what would seem like the polar opposite end of this argument... Um, is that the combat system is actually really easily exploited also. Um, it's very, very simple to break this game's combat mechanics. If you find the correct combination of powerful cards, which with the internet as it is today, it's pretty simple to find, um, you, you basically break the game and you can kind of breeze through every encounter. And so, arguably, this is actually kind of a better way to play the game because it's infinitely less frustrating, but it's also not really fun. Um, It's just indicative of a bad system. So, uh, as you can see, I have some strong feelings about this one. (laughs) Uh, So, the exploration in the game, honestly, is pretty bland. Um, The level design is honestly kind of boring. It's Essentially, it's a stripped-down, kind of isometric version of a lot of the original Kingdom Hearts uh, levels. Uh, And they're all fairly linear, so it's nothing really all that exciting. Uh, Moving on to the plot, uh, the continuation of the Kingdom Hearts story is good, so that's, that's kind of where this one serves its purpose. It kind of acts as a bridge between Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. Um, so, in that regard, uh, it's actually pretty good. There are some, some decent points there. Uh, it's kind of the introduction of Organization 13 and Namine, which are both obviously key figures in the overall plot. Uh, you also get an epilogue section where you get to play as Riku, which some might actually argue is the better portion of the game, actually. Uh, As far as the worlds are concerned, they're all pretty much just recycled from Kingdom Hearts 1, with the exception of Castle Oblivion itself, um, which really is just a series of fairly blank white rooms all on its own, so the only new addition is also kind of bland. Uh, And even then, the storylines that are within these worlds are also just kind of like pared down rehashes of what occurred in Kingdom Hearts One. So overall, uh, nothing super redeeming about this game, in my opinion, except for the story. Um, so in that, uh, you know, with that in mind, you can just watch the cutscenes and you'll get what you need from Chain of Memories. All right. So next on the list uh, is Kingdom Hearts Recoded for the Nintendo DS. Um, Gameplay mechanics, it uh, it uses a command deck system, which is very, very similar to the system in Birth by Sleep, which we're going to get to a little bit later. Um, It also has a matrix system uh, for leveling up, which actually makes that experience a lot more interesting and varied. Uh, The actual combat in the game, it's, it's just okay. It's okay. Um, it's like a slightly worse version of what you get in like the mainline Kingdom Hearts titles so it's not bad it's not great it's it's kind of just riding that middle line pretty you know pretty uh, successfully uh, in regards to the plot uh, this is actually one of its weakest points and which is why it is the second to bottom on the list. Uh, the story of Recoded is completely irrelevant to the overarching story of the Kingdom Hearts series as a whole. You could have never experienced this game or seen anything about it, and it will not impact anything about your understanding of the rest of the games. Uh, essentially, you're just following a cyber version of, of Sora, our our hero, main protagonist, uh, exploring digital versions of uh, worlds from Kingdom Hearts 1, and these all exist within Jiminy Cricket's notebook, which somehow a, a paper notebook is capable of creating digitized worlds. Don't don't ask me how this happens because magic. It just does. It's it's Disney. I don't know. Um, but that's pretty much it. Uh, as far as the worlds go, again, and this is you're gonna hear this a lot as we get through this list they're just reused from other kingdom hearts games and even at that they're simplified versions of them so there's not really a whole lot exciting there so overall for recoded uh it's pretty mediocre at just about everything and it's largely unnecessary for the plot as a whole so it's not a bad one um i'm actually in the process of finishing up playing it right now as a matter of fact and It's enjoyable enough, but if you don't pick it up, then you're really not missing out. Alright, so moving up uh, on the list is uh, Dream Drop Distance, or otherwise known as Kingdom Hearts 3D. And as with most uh, games for the Nintendo 3DS, it incorporated 3D in its title somehow. Um, So... Uh, Dream Drop Distance, the the gameplay mechanics, is actually the real strength of the game. So uh, there's a combination of what they call a flow motion system, which allows for things like wall jumping and swinging from poles. It it makes your combat uh, encounters much more fluid and dynamic. Um, This in combination with the command deck system, again, kind of straight lifted from Birth by Sleep, makes for very fast and exciting combat. Uh, it actually really just takes the Kingdom Hearts combat formula and improves on it in just about every way. It's it's almost one of the best systems, I think, in the whole series as a whole. Uh, another interesting point about the gameplay mechanics um, is that there's no traditional party structure. So, uh, unlike... A lot of the other Kingdom Hearts games where, you know, like, for the, for instance, the first one you have, uh, generally speaking, you know, Sora, Goofy, and Donald, and that's your, you know, RPG party, as it were. You don't really have that in Dream Drop Distance. Um, instead, you kind of get this almost Pokemon-esque monster creation system where... They have unique moves and abilities, uh, and then they can also learn additional new moves and special abilities as you kind of level them up. Um, I'll be honest, it can tend to feel a little gimmicky, um, but overall it it actually works pretty well. In addition to this, you also have uh, special finishing moves called Reality Shifts, and the cool thing about those is that they're unique to the world that you are currently exploring. So your reality shift in one Disney world is going to look, feel, and act completely different from another one when you're in a different world. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, regarding the plot, uh, this is what just tanks this game. Um, it is probably the worst in the entire series. And here's why. This is where they introduced time travel. So anybody that has any sort of familiarity with, uh, you know, sci-fi or fantasy stories, whether it be novels or TV or movies, generally speaking, the moment that you introduce time travel is roughly about the time where you kind of uh, jump the proverbial shark. Uh, and and on top of this, Kingdom Hearts, because not to be outdone by any other uh, fantasy slash sci-fi title out there, not only introduces time travel, but also introduces it in a way that the main characters are traveling through the fabric of time to arrive at a dream world. So we're so we're taking the uh, you know the 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 genre staples of. of dream realities and time travel both of which end up usually being incredibly confusing in their own right and then combining both of them to just make this very convoluted mess of a plot so Kingdom Hearts and this this is meme territory at this point uh, as most of us know, Even if you don't play the games, you probably have some sort of knowledge of this just through, like, you know, social osmosis that uh, the plot line kind of complicated. And honestly, all this does is just compounds that problem. Um, There is some positives to the plot. I'm not going to completely bash it. Um, there There is some actual better character development specifically for Riku. Uh, If you're familiar at all with the series, you know that for most of it, especially in the beginning, Riku, mostly a dick, Um, also just generally kind of emotionless, and he kind of teeters between emotionless and a jerk. So he's never really been a super likable character, but but this game kind of finally gives him some evolution as a person um, and actually makes him likable. So that, that's a plus all on its own. Uh, talking about the worlds in the game, um, this one actually incorporates new ones, which really is the only handheld Kingdom Hearts title that actually does this. Um, we ended up getting uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, The Three Musketeers, Tron Legacy, uh, and Fantasia. Uh, and, and also, bonus, no Olympus Coliseum*. So... If you've played any of the Kingdom Hearts games, you know that Olympus Coliseum seems like it's almost a requirement to be included for whatever ridiculous reason. And listen, while I like Hercules and, and Phil as much as the next guy or girl, it gets old really fast when every single game practically has required diversions into the Olympus Colosseum and that's the other thing it's not even the world of Hercules it's just the Colosseum it's always just the Colosseum so luckily none of that here so uh, overall honestly this game would have been higher on my list um but the plot is just so bad that it drags down um probably at least one or two spots that's that's how awful it was Alright, so moving up, we're starting to get kind of past the halfway point here where we're starting to get into some of the better titles, of course, in my opinion. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, 358 Days Over Two, and I'm pretty sure I said that correctly, even though it's written as 358 divided by two days. It's, uh, It's confusing in only the way that a Kingdom Hearts title could be confusing. Uh, so, the gameplay mechanics. It's actually got really solid combat, uh, very, very similar to the mainline Kingdom Hearts titles, which, for better or worse, is is a pretty good thing. Uh, it actually does have some really challenging encounters uh, that do require the player to have some skill beyond simply just mashing your buttons and hoping for the best, Uh, which you can't really say about some of the other offshoot Kingdom Hearts titles where it's just kind of spam one button and you win. Uh, This one, most of the missions that you end up going on are going to require you to have a little bit more um, dynamic reaction in combat which I think is a plus. I think it strikes a pretty good balance of not being infuriatingly difficult like some of the boss encounters in the series are. Um, one thing that I personally actually really, really liked from this game was the panel system that they introduced for leveling up. So, uh, at a high level, it's it's kind of like, um, it's a little bit like Tetris, actually, which is probably part of the reason that I like it. Um, Weirdly enough, and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but weirdly enough, one of the things that I like about uh, action RPGs that have sort of taken a lot of cues from Diablo and Diablo 2 is that a lot of them incorporate inventory systems where you end up playing what is kind of colloquially known as inventory Tetris at this point. And a lot of people hate that. Uh, Strangely enough, I actually get some weird enjoyment out of trying to fit all of the different shaped items into a, an inventory space. I don't know why I like that, but I do. And so that's what kind of what this panel system did, where you can expand this grid of squares as you level up, uh, and you have to fit your skills and items and abilities and upgrades into this grid, and each ability is basically like a Tetris piece. And so you have to kind of figure out the optimal way to fit all of these ability and item Tetris pieces together into this panel in order to equip them all onto Roxas, which I I actually really liked. And then those Tetris pieces in and of themselves, particularly the abilities, um, have empty spaces on them where you can then slot uh, little squares that will upgrade those abilities in certain ways. Either it's just a straight... Like power upgrade, or sometimes it will change the way the ability functions, or it'll give it a new, you know, element if it's a kind of attack, or or it'll multiply the number of times you can use that in an encounter or something to that effect. So it's very dynamic in that way, and I actually really enjoyed it. Um, outside of that, there are a couple of negatives. Um, the mission structure itself in the game actually gets repetitive pretty quickly. Um, you end up getting sent back to the same worlds over and over again. And and there's kind of a reason for this, which I'm going to get into in the plot section here in a moment. But, you know, plot reasons aside, just from a pure gameplay perspective, uh, it does get old really fast. Um, The other piece under gameplay is that there are some very easily missable side quests from... Uh, your fellow Organization of Thirteen members, that if you don't make a point of talking to every NPC every time you come back from another mission, you are very likely to miss a small side quest that may give you like an upgrade item or something to that effect. Now, uh, in my experience playing through the entirety of the game, I didn't find anything that was uh, so detrimental that if I missed it from a side quest, I was going to kick myself about it, but you do end up missing some useful items um, you know, if you happen to forget to talk to someone. So that's kind of an annoyance. And that that's just a personal thing for me too, really. Uh, just across all games, not just Kingdom Hearts, I hate missable content. It doesn't matter what game it's in. In my opinion, every single thing should be something that you can go back to at a later time and find if you missed it the first time. If there's something that you didn't know was there or something to that effect and then you're never able to go back to that area again that just rubs me in all the wrong ways but um moving on to the plot uh this one it it, this is actually one of the strong suits of this game and it's because it provides the backstory of roxas who is sora's nobody and that might mean nothing to you if you have no background knowledge of this series at all, but that's okay. Uh, and it also kind of explores the relationships that he forms with uh, Axel and Shion, who are other members of Organization 13. And this story uh, that develops amongst the three of them is this really, really great through line about friendship and what it means to be friends and what it means to be a person and uh because uh, nobody's technically aren't supposed to have hearts and therefore don't have any uh emotions they are not capable of feeling uh or at least that's how it is according to the you know the lore in kingdom hearts and yet uh roxas has these emotions? He, he develops these attachments to his friends, and he's trying to figure out why that is. If he's a nobody, and it kind of explores these topics, and and it's uh, it's very impactful. And, and I, I personally, I think it's well done. Um, there is some side plot about some factions within Organization 13 that are sort of vying for power. They both kind of want to stage a coup and take over the organization for themselves. But it, that's. In, it's 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 interesting, but it's it's actually not wholly necessary to understand the the overall story of, well, really either this game or just the series as a whole. But it's interesting for what it is. Uh, talking about the worlds, again, there's there's no new worlds, so that's that's a common theme amongst most of the um, you know handheld titles in the series. And as I mentioned earlier the game forces you to go back to a relatively small selection of worlds uh, repeatedly. And as I said, there's plot-relevant reasons for this because you are playing as Roxas, who is a member of Organization 13, and so you are sent out on these missions by the organization to, you know, slay Heartless... Or you know, recover some items or something like that, and so you will be sent back multiple times to the same worlds to accomplish different missions. But at the end of the day, you're still only going back to like a handful of different worlds, so you end up not really seeing a lot of new areas, um, and you end up retreading the same relatively small levels uh, several times. So that's that's kind of a bummer, but overall. Uh, for three, five, eight days over two, uh, it's it's good gameplay, and but it's really, really propelled forward by its excellent story. That's where this one really shines. All right, so we're we're heading into kind of the home stretch here, and so we're gonna hit on the next one, which is the original Kingdom Hearts for the PlayStation Two. Talking a little bit about its gameplay mechanics, the system itself was actually pretty phenomenal for its time Um, and I feel like I need to say that now because I'm now going to follow that up with it is actually kind of slow and a little bit sluggish comparatively to a lot of the other titles that came afterwards so while it was great at its time it's actually aged pretty poorly Um, it's it's really rough to go back to and This was something that, um, as Chris and I are probably going to discuss in our full-fledged Kingdom Hearts episode, which is coming up, you know, after this one, as most of you know by now, um, I came to the series actually pretty late, and so I was not there when Kingdom Hearts first came out, so I was not, you know, experiencing it at the time that it was really, you know, shining. I came to it where it was already dated. And I can tell you that I enjoyed the hell out of it. That's why it's so high up on my list, of course. But uh, the combat definitely has not aged uh, well at all. Um, Having said that, the exploration of the worlds that it includes is incredibly fun and it's very rewarding. Um, You want to make sure you're looking in every nook and cranny for chests to find, you know, things like that. And the worlds themselves are just... Of course these vibrant and engaging uh, environments you know thanks to the the collaboration with Disney of course I think that lends a lot of credence to that um, talking a bit about the plot so this is the the OG this is the original plot line um, so by comparison it's it's relatively simple it's pretty straightforward. Uh, which uh, most people, I would argue, including myself, uh, uh, would regard as a positive. This is a this is a, a check mark in its corner, because after the first game, things just get kind of crazy. Honestly, um, it's it's an entertaining story. It's really easy to follow, and honestly, one of the biggest things that I think it has in its corner is that this game, so far. Out of all the other ones, I think was the most focused on what the original intention of Kingdom Hearts was meant to be, which was a collaboration between Final Fantasy and Disney. And this accomplishes that very, very well, where you have these Final Fantasy characters, or even Final Fantasy-esque characters, because, of course, Sora is an original character for Kingdom Hearts, but he's clearly very influenced by, you know, the Final Fantasy sort of design ethos. Um, But you have this really great balance between that and then these amazing recreations or interpretations of these Disney worlds. And... By and large, the villains that you are pitted against outside of, you know, your rank and file Heartless are actual Disney villains. Every world that you go to, you are encountering a big bad at the end that was the big bad for that particular Disney, you know, story or movie. Um, So it just, like I said, it just felt much, much more focused. uh, Like they. Had a very clear idea of where they were going with this, and I think the integration of the two intellectual properties was done very well. Um, talking about the worlds, honestly, this is probably the best inclusions so far in the whole series, and that might feel a little bit like a cop-out because it's the first game, but it's kind of hard to argue that they didn't kind of knock it out of the park on the first try. I mean, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. So you've got Aladdin, you've got Nightmare Before Christmas, Little Mermaid, uh, even though arguably the Atlantica areas in any Kingdom Hearts game are just mostly awful. The the swimming mechanics are terrible. Uh, you got Hercules, of course, because, you know, (laughs) Colosseum, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Tarzan, uh, Pinocchio, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, Winnie the Pooh, I might be missing a few others, but I think that's most of them. But that is an impressive list all on its own, and that's all just in one game. So that's that's going to be really hard to beat. So overall, this is the one that started everything. Okay, The gameplay itself has not aged well. It is not like a fine wine. It's more aged kind of like your leftovers in the fridge that you've had in that uh, vegetable crisper drawer that you forgot about, and they've been in there for about a month or two. Kind of like that. Um, But, overall, this is certifiably a classic. Alright, so we're at our top two now, which you might be surprised that the original Kingdom Hearts wasn't in the top two, but it's not. Um, Number two is actually going to be occupied by Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, and this was for the Sony PSP. So, gameplay mechanics, the really big thing that this game brought to the table was the command deck system. So you've heard me mention that a couple of times in the previous entries on this list and there's a good reason for that. Uh, This system helped to kind of streamline item and ability use by setting a deck And I'm doing air quotes. If this was a visual medium, you would see that. But by setting a deck and kind of scrolling through them either with the D-pad on your controller or the trigger buttons. So rather than, you know, hunting through your inventory to find the thing you want to use, you can set up this sort of deck of items and commands, uh, which for all intents and purposes is a list. And then you can just quickly cycle through them uh, during gameplay. Um, So this system was good enough that it was more or less wholesale adopted by two other titles in the series, as I mentioned earlier. So really, this kind of system builds upon the combat style uh, and mechanics that you see in the mainline Kingdom Hearts titles and really just improves upon it. The plot in Birth by Sleep, arguably, probably the best in the series. Uh, And the reason for this is that it actually manages to juggle sort of three different playable characters' storylines, which is Ventus, Aqua, and Terra, while still, uh, impressively, maintaining a cohesive, kind of overarching plot. So there's a lot of ways that that could have gone wrong. Um, Having three sort of semi-independent storylines running concurrently is a very real potential recipe for disaster um, particularly in a series that is noted for its confusing plot lines but uh, this game actually manages to kind of keep all three of those going and um, bring them together in a sensical way And it's enjoyable, of course, on top of all that. And hey, the other plus is we also have the major series villain in here, which is Master Xehanort. So that in and of itself is a bonus. Uh, The worlds in Birth by Sleep, um, we did get a few new ones. You ended up with Snow White, uh, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella, um, which actually, in retrospect, seems to be fairly fitting choices for this game given that Birth by Sleep is a prequel to the events of Kingdom Hearts 1. So if you think about that in a way uh, by choosing you know the older uh, classic Disney titles like Snow White or Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty, um, it's it's kind of like it's implying that it fits in a in a time that was before you know what took place in Kingdom Hearts with some of the relatively newer, titles in the Disney catalog. So that's, I just thought that was interesting. In addition to that, you also get a new one in Lilo and Stitch. um, And then there are some other rehashed Kingdom Hearts worlds from the other games. Um, But I guess really the one thing that I think about when I think about the worlds that were included here is, you know, why not just go full on with the, the classic Disney films, right? Because if it makes so much sense to kind of line up, the older, you know, classic Disney titles with this game that is meant to be taking place in a time period prior to the first game, then from just sort of like a holistic design standpoint, I, I would almost think it makes more sense for them to have just made all the worlds just be, you know, these these vintage Disney uh, titles, really. So uh, I think that's probably one way that it could have been improved. But overall, not too bad. So the overall take on Birth by Sleep um, is that, uh, honestly, it's like a better version of the first Kingdom Hearts game. Which, consequently, is why it is at number two and Kingdom Hearts is at number one. Uh, It really just takes everything about the first game and builds upon it in a positive way. So, all right. So uh, that, of course, is going to bring us to our number one slot, which I'm sure almost nobody is surprised about. Um, But that slot is occupied by none other than Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, So, gameplay mechanics. Kingdom Hearts 2 just takes the combat and the systems from the first game and just kind of cranks them up to 11. Um, As I mentioned, the first one kind of feels a little bit like you're kind of wading through a mud bog sometimes. You do not get that feeling in Kingdom Hearts 2 at all. Everything has definitely been accelerated. Uh, In addition to that, it introduces new limit breaks, uh, companion summons that you can pull out in combat, as well as the brand new drive forms, um, which change Sora's playstyle and his appearance completely. Uh, So that really helps to spice up the combat encounters and it uh, makes everything a lot more dynamic. The boss battles are also pretty finely tuned and very tense uh, with a pretty great mix of Disney villains and also original characters to the Kingdom Hearts series. So you kind of get a good sampling of both. Uh, The level design is by and large actually really excellent. Um, the areas are fun they're expansive they're really entertaining to explore and to discover the treasures that are hidden in the corners uh, the plot of the game now there, this, this can potentially be divisive but honestly Kingdom Hearts 2 is really the reason why the, the general consensus exists out there that the plot of Kingdom Hearts as a whole is convoluted because the first game, as I mentioned earlier, was very straightforward. It was a hero's journey. Um, You play this boy trying to find his friends and you go to different Disney worlds and you fight some evil creatures. You battle some Disney villains and you save the day. Pretty standard stuff. Kingdom Hearts 2 takes that and just blows it out into something that just ends up with a bunch of Tangled plot lines and it 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 does make it confusing but probably not to the hyperbolic levels the internet has turned it into at this point however there are some definite positives of the plot otherwise this wouldn't be at my number one slot so the uh inclusion of organization 13 which technically is not the introduction because that occurred in chain of memories um but the inclusion of them is great because all thirteen of the members are very well thought-out characters. Um, they're all unique in their own way. They have their own personality quirks. They have their own, you know, favored weapon and fighting style. Uh, and on top of that, just the organization as a whole, their their kind of goal in this whole thing is actually fairly sympathetic. Um, it's very easy for the player to relate to them. So, uh, also we get the introduction of Roxas and sort of his, you know, tragic backstory tale, which honestly, it actually would have been better if we got even more of that in this game than in three, five, eight days over two, uh, because even though he's introduced here, it's, the details are very sparse. And I don't know if that was intentional, but... Uh, it, it really would have been better if we had gotten more information about Roxas and what was going on with him in Kingdom Hearts 2 rather than having to wait for, you know, the, the handheld game to release later on chronologically. Um, honestly, you know, we're talking about the, the complications that this game sort of introduced into the overarching plot of the Kingdom Hearts series. But in my opinion, the real issue isn't necessarily the game itself. It, it does make things more complicated, but that's not necessarily bad. Uh, there, I mean, honestly, there's probably only so many times that you could have your very straightforward, you know, hero's journey, Disney villains, fight the big bad, save the day thing. Um, I think the real problem actually is the reliance on the player having to know what occurred in Chain of Memories in order to actually follow the plot in Kingdom Hearts 2. That, in my opinion, is a huge no-no. And this is something that is endemic in the Kingdom Hearts series as a whole, is that the, the designers of the game expect players to know what's going on in all of these other, you know, offshoot titles, with the exception of Recoded, as I mentioned earlier. That's kind of its own almost, you know, isolated story, but outside of that, if you haven't had any exposure to the events that occurred in all of these other spin-off titles, um then you're going to have no clue what is going on in a mainline entry into the series, which honestly I think is inexcusable. As much as I love this series, it's something that it does that just needlessly complicates things. Um, if you're gonna have these sort of like handheld titles and you know whatever else to kind of tide things over until you get another major mainline release, don't make them integral to understanding the mainline games because you your you know average player is not going to have spent the tens or hundreds of hours going through every single, you know, DS game or PSP game or whatever to figure out, what the hell story you're trying to tell, you know, so that's kind of my gripe with it overall. But honestly, I think that's the real issue with the plot of Kingdom Hearts 2, and it doesn't have anything to do with the game itself. All right. So talking a little bit about the worlds, um, we did get some returning ones. You've still got Hercules, because of course you do, um, as well as Aladdin. Uh, those are just some examples. But you did get a lot of really cool new ones. Uh, we got Mulan. You got Pirates of the Caribbean, which, while cool, is also a little weird because you end up with these very, uh, you know, cartoon esque anime characters like Sora, standing side by side with these characters from Pirates who were modeled to look um, as realistic as a PS2 was able to render at the time, which is a like a very jarring sort of difference but outside of that um we also got beauty and the beast um you have lion king and potentially my favorite of all of them timeless river uh which was uh, a completely black and white world where everything was drawn like the cartoons from the early 20s and 30s in the very very early days of disney like think steamboat willie that kind of stuff and that to me was awesome um everybody everybody Sora there's like a timeless river version of Sora as you're playing through there and he looks like he belongs in an episode of an early Mickey Mouse, you know, short or whatever and it's just great. So, overall for Kingdom Hearts 2, the the number 1 on my list uh in my opinion, probably one of the best action RPGs that's ever been made. Uh it's not perfect, of course, nothing is, but it's pretty damn close um it it has its flaws and it has its shortcomings i think a lot of it having to do with some of the plot stuff but overall it is an incredibly solid title and i would recommend it to anyone that enjoys action rpgs i however would not recommend it as your first kingdom hearts game you should probably go play the first one first but um definitely very very easily recommendable so before I close this out, I also wanted uh, to put in sort of an honorable mention. I didn't include it on my ranking, um, but there is also Kingdom Hearts Union Cross, which is a mobile title for iOS and Android. It's been out since about 2016 in North America. Um, I didn't include it in my rankings because even though in true Kingdom Hearts fashion, the uh, events that take place in it are actually related to the mainline plot, I didn't think that it really qualified to have a spot, and I'm um, and perhaps I'll you know kind of explain why that is. But uh, the game itself was actually originally known as Kingdom Hearts Unchained Key, even though that's written as an X. It's pronounced key, you know, like Keyblade. Haha. Um, it contains elements of what was actually a now defunct Japanese-only browser-based title called Kingdom Hearts Key. Um, which is interesting that there was a browser-only game that was actually considered, you know, canonical to a major game series, but there you go. Um, the story, there's, there's some details that I'm not going to go into, but basically it takes place presumably hundreds of years before the events of Kingdom Hearts 1. And at a very high level, it covers the events that are related to the first uh, major Keyblade War There are, you know, several unions uh, within the community of Keyblade wielders at the time, and there's this book of prophecies that portends this, like, you know, end of days, and it ends up creating this uh, internal conflict and strife amongst the different Keyblade wielder unions, and they end up... That's how you end up with the Keyblade War, where uh, we ended up with the demise of many, many good Keyblade wielders, but I myself have actually played this game quite a bit. It's probably the one mobile game I've played consistently the most out of any. Um, As a matter of fact, I just logged in today to check, and I have about 994 days logged in, So, so I've got some time clocked in on this one. So when I say that it didn't deserve a spot on the ranking list, it's not because I thought it was worthless or it, you know wasn't, you know, worthy necessarily. I, I just think that um, because it's a mobile-based game, the gameplay is very simplistic. It's kind of just tap to move here, auto-attack some things, you know, that kind of stuff. So, all right. Having said all that, we have made it through our ranking of the Kingdom Hearts games, and as I said at the beginning of the episode, please remember this is just my personal ranking Um, I am sure that you probably have your own and I'm sure that you have some, um, you know, disputes about where I placed things. And if you do, I would actually love to hear about it. Um, as we always tend to say towards the end of our episodes, please feel free to reach out to us, um, shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook or send us an email if you'd like, which is podcast at retrohangover.com. And, um, give us our feet, give us your feedback. You know, if you, uh, feel like chain of memories shouldn't have been at the bottom of my list, then, you know, let me know and, and tell me why I'd be interested to hear some different viewpoints on these things. Uh, but, uh, since Chris is not here, I will, I will say this in honor of him, but until next time play with your joysticks.